from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. like to welcome back friend to the podcast. I can call him a friend now because he's been up uh, on the podcast enough time. Coach Schiller, IMG Academy Blue. He's been on the show talking about a handful of different subjects, and we're excited to dig into how as coaches we can do a better job of creating an offensive system that really works for our team, for our personnel, for our own identity as a coach. And, you know, I just have a feeling this is going to be like a mini master class with some of the things that uh, coach is going to share in this episode, just chatting with him for the past 15 minutes before we hit the record button has been very helpful for me. So for those that aren't familiar with you, coach, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what you have going at IMG Academy. Sure. Yeah. So uh, they just finished my 23rd season, um, my second at IMG. Prior to that, I was at a traditional high school here in Bradenton, uh, Lakewood Ranch uh, High School, Uh, had some some success, went to two Final Fours, three regional championships, four district titles, uh, all from building a program that uh, prior to uh, didn't have very much consistent basketball success. So really proud of kind of what we did there. Prior to that, I've been at Eckerd College, which is Division II, and I was at University of South Florida as a a graduate assistant, and I actually got to start at my – Start coaching at my old high school, Brandon High, where I was fortunate to play with uh, 13 guys that played college, uh, five Division One players, and two guys that actually played in the NBA. So really unique wow. high school experience that bled into had a chance to be uh, on kind of the freshman developmental team at Eckerd, um, and then really got into coaching really young. I was 19 when I started, so I've had uh, quite the journey with a lot of really awesome experiences. Um, and as I, I now become one of the older coaches in the in the room. Uh, I get to share some of the things that that helped me that I, I maybe wish that people had shared with me. Uh, so I'm really excited to be back on pod, the podcast again. And, you know, we talked a lot about culture and I think our our offensive and our defensive system uh, really should be connective uh, in all aspects, not only with itself and each other, but also with, you know, the culture that we're we're trying to have. So I think this is a, you know, a perfect thing to kind of share some of the ideas on you know, things that have been effective for me in developing offensive systems that that connect uh, with our culture and, and the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect timing. Being in the spring, basketball season has finished. This is a time of year that, especially as high school coaches, we're starting to look at uh, our spring, our summer, what that next season is going to look like. And maybe we're completely changing some things. Maybe it's more of some tweaks. And so my hope is with with this interview, coaches can really get a great idea of how maybe a little more work on the front end, but this can really simplify uh, how we run our offense because it's really connects to different types. You make, you miss, press break. Obviously, we're going to talk about the personnel. So coach, when you think about developing an offensive system for your team and for your program, what are the first things that come to mind, the things that are really a must for you as a coach? So I think the, the first thing is we've got to look at what is our, our culture and we have to make sure that whatever we decide to do offensively connects. So like for us, culturally, we want unselfish team players uh, that make the right play. Like that's what we talk about on offense all the time. And then the why of why we do that when you're at a traditional high school, state championships, when you're at a, a an IMG Academy, that's about a development like I am now where I coach IMG Blue with really, really high level players. For us, it's the system has to make sure that I make sure our guys are, I'm going to use the term marketable to college coaches. So they're all about winning. They know how to land on two feet, all of that. So I got to make sure first is that my I know the direction I'm going big picture. Uh, then we've got to look at what offensively, what puts my players both in the best situation and develops them for that ultimate goal. As a high school coach, I we leaned more towards what puts us in the best situation to win. In the environment I'm in now, it's more of a blend of both because we have to make sure that our guys are being prepared to play college because every single guy on my team will be a college basketball player. Where when you're at a traditional high school, it's a bit more about that community feel of like, okay, what do we need to do to win our district title, our regional title, and eventually a state championship to make our community proud? So I think once we have that focus, the next thing is to look at our personnel. 
You know, I think a lot of times coaches fall in love with an offense that they see at a clinic or they, they're what their coaches ran. Um, and I think it's really important to sit down and say, okay, who are our best players? Who are everyone that's going to be in our rotation? Because I think sometimes we focus solely on our best players and then we tell everybody to be a great team. And the reality is your offensive system has to be able to connect and develop uh, and make sure each person is a part of it. You know, that's part of the unselfish mindset. Um, as we look at what our system is, we want to build around those skills. What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What do we want that to look like? And then kind of as we talked about, you have to start laying out like this time is a great time of year. I would be very reflective at the end of my season. I would look forward to what players we we're potentially going to have the next season. And then you start to go through before even like, OK, we've decided on a system. What's our progression? Spring, try it out. Summer, try it out. Fall, try it out and tighten those screws. So when we get to the season, not only are the guys comfortable, but as a coach, I'm comfortable with our with what our system is. And um, I think it's important for high school coaches to always be flexible around their personnel. Uh, just a quick story. In uh, 2015, we were district runner up. We had some success. It was the first 20-win season in the school's history. We ran mover blocker and played 2-3 zone. Played about six players, um, and our JV team was undefeated. So we knew we had, you know, four or five kids coming up. Every single player, uh, we returned six of our eight. So now you're saying I got four of these high-level kids coming up. We can't continue to play a system that's so slow. So then we shifted to a fast-break system. We ran and jumped full-court press. We went dribble-drive motion because it's what fit our personnel, but it also is what helped us with retention. And I think that as a coach, you're trying to balance all those things. Best situations for them to be successful, best way to develop for college, and how do we make sure we're retaining our players and they're enjoying enjoying it. And as you mentioned, as we start to look at the connectivity part, it's a bit harder early, but that foundation being so strong makes it better late and helps the kids develop. develop. Mm -hmm. So let's start to – Let's go big and then we'll we'll peel this through by layer. So for our coaches listening at this point, they're curious, what does your offense look like? What what is the offense that you you're running at IMG? And then we'll start to get specific with you know, the player development, some of the strategy, some of the situations connecting, you know, transition into your half court. So so for us at IMG, it changes a bit every year. Like uh uh, my first year, we had Carson Cooper, who, uh, as a true freshman, is playing backup minutes at Michigan. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Super fast, very vertically athletic. Uh, so we ran our five, and we, and we tried to play a bit faster, try to put him in the dunker, try to get him into dribble handoffs. Uh, he was obviously one of our more talented guys. We also had a number of elite shooters and ball handlers. So we ran a system where we really focused on playing a lot faster. This year uh, – our tallest teenager in the world developed into uh, Olivier Rio, developed into being a very impactful player, you know, along with elite guard play. So we did a few more things. Where we really tried to focus on post-ups while not losing our, our tempo and our pace. Um, but the consistent stuff with our system is we want to, for us, we want to push really fast on, on makes and misses, and we want to hunt an advantage. We want to use our NBA three-point line for spacing. Um if we choose to have a rim runner, meaning four round one, he's going to the front of the rim. Everybody else has elite level spacing because our ultimate goal is to create any version of an advantage to get two on the ball uh, and then make the right play. Once we get there, it's all a little bit different. So mm -hmm. the framework always goes, our transition system is the backbone. We build our transition system. That flows into what our automatic half-court actions are or what we also – those automatic half-court actions, or we go straight into flow because we broke the three-point line. We break the three-point line, we're automatically into essentially like drive kick and, and playing basketball, for lack of a better term. If as we advance the ball, we didn't break the three-point line, we have actions based on where the ball is. Uh, did it stay with the ball handler? Did he kick it ahead to the wing? Did we enter it into the post early? Because obviously we want to rim run, our, rim run our big. So that transition system – when you start talking about connectivity, it immediately bleeds into and blends with exactly what we want to do as our automatics uh, when we get over half court uh, versus man and zone. Uh, and it all connects to each other. So our guys don't have to be hesitant. They know exactly what we're doing and they can stay in attack mode because when you look at what we're trying to do, we're trying to generate an advantage. Well, the earlier we can generate an advantage and get a high quality shot, which we go over, we have a shot quality chart. 
uh, we're going to take it. So that's an open kind of kick ahead and you're a 40% three-point shooter, let it rip. Uh, if we've gained an advantage by paint touching early, we're going to do that. So our progression goes uh, on make or miss. We hunt the kick ahead. Uh, if we can get out of the kick ahead in that kick ahead, we have a post, a post up, we have a kickback option, uh, or obviously they can always drive the paint, drive the rim, which is our dribble drive motion based. Um, if they choose not to, after the kick ahead, they can kick it back which is essentially to the trailing guard. And then we get into some quick actions off of that. The ball handler or the ball handler can keep the ball, which pushes us into our traditional dribble drive motion spacing. And then we have actions or we use a term, which is a dribble drive motion. They can just immediately go lane or middle in transition. Guard gains an advantage, gets two on the ball, and we're, we're playing out of that. The last thing that happens without a dead ball is we have multiple ball handlers um, I've done the system with multiple ball handlers, multiple wings. We always have at least two ball handlers on the court. Uh, and we always, we can have as many as four. Uh, and the post is a different position. They're, they're rim running, you know, they're playing in the middle of the floor. So when they rebound, they become the trail. We can ball screen with them. We can do our delay actions through him. Mm-hmm. The actual transition system has changed uh depending on personnel so this year we had wings that were elite scorers and high level athletes that were good ball handlers but we wouldn't necessarily want to initiate offense with them uh and then we had multiple ball handlers we had multiple guys uh who were getting recruited division one as point guards on a make our point guard is designated on a miss our point guard is whichever ball handler is closest to the sideline while the wings take off or a, what we call a stack ball handler which means you're on the same side as the ball handler. Uh, I don't know how much we want to dive into it, but then it becomes, as I catch the outlet, my immediate look is up. If I don't have the kick head up, I immediately go opposite through the middle to get the defense changed sides of the floor, and we look for the kick head. Our concept is always the same. We're trying to hunt kick ahead. We're trying to generate a pain advantage, trying to get two people on the ball with great spacing and take the, the highest quality shot. We will, we will take threes in transition, um, as long as they're open, our feet are set and they're uncontested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then those things all connect. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of detail to it, but all, those things all connect to our press break uh, versus full court, uh, three quarter court and half court. So if for some reason we go and we inbound quickly uh, and we get trapped. Our guys are already in the positions they'll need to be to break the press. We don't have to call something. Uh, if there's a dead ball dive on the ground or a rebound and our guy gets trapped, they're already immediately in their, their correct spacing to be able to attack pressure because uh, that same spacing is how we uh, you know, are able to attack and gain advantage on the ball to get two on the ball to, to get the ball uh, to someone open. So as you're breaking this down, you know what I'm hearing is, as, as a coach, we're thinking about do we have a couple primary ball handlers that have the ability to initiate offense? Do we have a couple of players that are more of our wing that can handle the ball, but they're more of attacking, maybe shooting, uh, primary shooting might be uh, their biggest skill there. They could bring the basketball up, but they're not initiating our offense. And they're, those ones are firing down, right? Deep and wide runs to the corners, I'm assuming, right? And then so, you have so, your big, is that correct me on any any of those or, or build on it? Yeah. So we're, we, we sprint to what we call the kickhead position, which is just above free throw line extended. Uh, until the ball crosses half court or I'm denied. So the wing, and the reason is, is if you go dead corner, you're not hunting kick ahead. You're playing through your point guard, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's guys that do that. For us, our, we're trying to throw the ball ahead to gain the advantage and really kick it ahead. And I found that when we told kids just go to the corner, they're wide open, they're running to the corner. The defense has an easier job to get through that longer pass. Mm-hmm. Um, don't go to the corner unless the player is denied. Or, um, or the ball's going over half court. As the ball's going after, over half court, the ball handler's now had it in his hands for three, two, three right. drills. Now we're going to get into another action. If the big is trailing, a lot of times we'll go right into a ball screen, uh, or we can get into our lane or middle if the big is already down, or depending on the year, whatever our next call is to stay right into our flow or where the ball goes. You know, we do dribble handoffs. You can do kind of whatever fits in both years. We do different things, but the goal is – to not let the defense get set, to not have players in the same position every time, and to make sure that we're we constantly know exactly what we need to do to generate generate that advantage. For us, our post always plays through the middle of the floor in the channel. So whether that's up high setting the ball screen, 
whether that's sprinting to the front of the rim or getting right to that dunk position, probably just outside the channel as we get into our flow. So whenever somebody helps, we can throw it up or dump it off uh, for a lot of dunks when there's an advantage game. Um, and then, I, like I said, with the magnetism that we had with bit really talented big players, we, we shot a lot of threes uh, both years. Uh, you know, as a team, last year we shot 38%. Uh, from three on a lot of attempts uh, this year. I actually just saw the numbers, numbers the other day, it's 707 threes in 32 games. And we shot 36% mm. versus top, you know, schedules in the country um, played an elite, elite schedule. So we, we really generated a lot of open uh, rhythm threes for our guys. We're also excellent shooters like that. Mm -hmm. Sure. But Absolutely. You would do something, you'd obviously do something different uh, probably, um, maybe press more, do some things to generate, get the offense going faster because um, we wouldn't be able to make shots once we got to the half court. Mm -hmm. uh, great detail. I mean, obviously, ball moves faster than the body. So if the ball can cross half court, preferably with a pass instead of with a dribble, we're telling our players, hey, we're looking for that pass. So you can't get down to the corner too early, right? Because you could be getting that pass on, on the wing or even a little bit higher than that. You see a crack and now we got a huge advantage. Uh, attacking. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned, mentioned that you mentioned prior a little bit about how this connects to, okay, if it's a press break, you're, you're consistent with make miss you've decided, okay, these are some players that can initiate the offense. Um, but we have a, a player who's going to bring the basketball up primarily if, if it's off of a make, can you talk a little bit about what some of those press break options look like? and how you start to install that to really flowing well into what players are used to running offensively. Because I think for many of our coaches, we have a specific press break that we like, but it does not complement necessarily the offense that we run. So the first thing I would say is keep those press breaks. So like this is where you want your offense to connect when there's a live ball situation to do your pressure. So that way the guys are automatically in it. On a dead ball, you still want to have actions if there's things that you're comfortable with. But you often what happens is we enter the ball. Now the guys don't have time to line up across four because, remember, we're trying to get it in fast and kick it ahead on makes or uh, on makes as well as misses. Uh, and we end up putting our, our players in a really tough spot. So for us, uh, anyone, uh, most teams press on a make. Uh, some press on a miss. Uh, on, a, on a miss, our floor is always squared the same way. We've got two. We have a ball handler, a trail that could be a wing or a ball handler, and then we've got a wing or a ball handler up the floor, wing or a ball handler up the floor, and our post in the middle. That, that's just the way the ball advances. Um, on a make, we do designate a one. That means that any the closest ball handler or wing takes the ball out of bounds. They're going to loop. So they're going to start on the side and loop to their left hand or the right hand. It doesn't matter to us. So as that player loops – they can receive the ball, there's movement. If they can't receive the ball, there's movement. But everything always ends up with the floor squared with the five in the middle. And then we use the term play within your sandboxes versus the pressure. Well, we're already in that alignment automatically based on the way our transition is. We choose to use our five as a ball reversal in the middle. Most teams take away the middle, or that's their goal. And when you reverse opposite, if our five is the opposite wing up the floor and our point guard gets it, he's automatically going to have to be in a dribble. So for us, what we choose to do is use the five as a facilitator. Uh, so we go, we hit the five, we reverse opposite, and we we get a lot of positive out of that because then they're sprinting down the middle. Obviously, as the defense rotates to the wing, our fives run down the middle. Uh, Carson Cooper used to score about six or eight points a game versus pressure uh, by ripping the rim off as he went down the middle. Um also helps our bigs develop as readers and passers. I think often people will take their big totally out of it uh, and put them all the way down on the opposite baseline. And to me, I don't know why you'd play five on four. I think you lose your advantage. Um, again, if we're struggling and the five struggling with that, which we, we, we drill it a lot, you know, we can make a call where we flash our guard and bump our, bump our big out of there. But that would be after some serious adjustments because we want to go quick. Um, and then it goes into roles and responsibilities versus pressure. So the ball, the guard that's looping has to stay inside the volleyball lines and up near the free throw line. That's his loop anyway, because we're trying to get the ball up the floor, not run to a corner. 
the wings and Hold the on, coach. Let me cut you off because I, I want you to talk about the loop. When you when you say that, I think Steve Nash. And, and when you say that, I I don't think that's something that I've seen. You know, I watch a ton of high school basketball game film. I don't see that with a ton of teams with their press break. Can you talk just just the reason why you like your guys to do that, and then keep building to the other players that you were digging into? Yeah. So the loop for us is every single time we get the ball on the run going up the floor to whatever hand you decide. I've had left hand, point hand, right hand. Their job is to basically get their back flat to the sideline to recognize if there's pressure and sprint straight through the free throw line. So we're catching it on the move in an ideal world, immediately kicking it to the wing and not even dribbling the ball on, on a make. Well, then it has to connect to our pressure, right? So he's got to loop and do his same job because our goal, and it happens a lot, is can we get the ball in and up the floor before they even set their pressure? If we can get the ball in and up the floor before they can set, they're now at a major disadvantage because we have a numbers advantage up the floor. So we go back flat. We literally sprint through, and our guard is catching the ball through the free throw line or higher if it's possible. You're not getting pressured. We, we'll throw it all the way up to half court, and we're, we're trying to hunt that kick head. It gets them on pace to get the ball through the middle to the other side. Mm-hmm. So other guys' responsibilities versus pressure are obviously when they get to half court, they're sprinting. We always want to say have vision on the ball. You should have vision on the ball because we might kick it to you anyway. And you should have vision on the ball because if someone gets trapped or we weren't able to get into our loop, you don't have to come back with your with your responsibilities. Sure. Uh, but the the first few steps out in the main basket, we're violently sprinting up the floor and trying to hunt that kick ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or half court, and then he decides where he has to be in his channel what we call sandbox of how high he needs to be versus the pressure doesn't want to be all the way down the floor doesn't want to necessarily be stationary he needs to be active in that space so we can hit him and reverse it great detail i think that you know I, I, again you say loop i just think of how good steve nash was you know most point guards catch it stationary their back is to the game right so you could get trapped you could get in trouble you could be pressure they pivot very slow, right? They get up down, they go, everything's set. You might have a trap. You might have somebody stolen that pass by that time. So just that little nugget of back to the sideline, we're catching it on the move. It really, really is a, is a very effective thing for us to do. Thank you for listening to this episode. And if you're listening and you want more, you like the podcast, you're saying, well, how can I get more involved with Coach's Edge? Go to Coach's Edge. Dot coach. It's a great opportunity to join our community, a community of coaches, a community of peers who are striving to get better together. The resources from player development drills, small sided games. We're going into this episode that we just did was perfect because it really complements our dribble drive motion offense and that course that we're putting in. You want to access our zone offense courses that we have inside our membership. The day that I'm recording this, I'm actually finishing up a PDF on different Zoom actions that uh, coaches can use as far as small-sided games, one-on-one, building all the way up into three-on-three with different Zooms that are super effective, whether you're running four out or five out as well, and a lot more. Off-season strength and conditioning program, in-season strength and conditioning program, the list goes on and on. An ever-growing library of online coaching resources to go along with the community of peers who try to get better together through our Zoom calls, our Coach's Edge meetings and guest speakers, a great opportunity to continue to develop yourself as a basketball coach. Any questions, reach out, contact at kramerbasketball.com, coachesedge.coach to learn more. Let's get back to the show. Great detail, Coach. Tell us a little bit about, if you don't get, I always call it a quick up. If you don't get that initial quick up, point guards keeping it, what does that look like as far as your flow into your offense? So for us, if we don't kick it ahead, that means the wings, because the ball's crossing half court, you end up in our, our dribble drive motion alignment. So our post goes from head under the rim to the opposite dunk. Both whoever was on the wing, right? It could have been a ball handler or a wing. That's that's part of the advantage of having multiple ball handlers and playing fast with guys in different positions. They bump corner, and then you end up with your traditional, you know, foot on the volleyball line, ball handler, foot on the volleyball line, who's the trail, and now we want to make an immediate read. Uh, This year, lane or middle, uh, which is dribble drive motion, which is the base uh, once we get over and what our flow principles are. Um, Or before they were – as they were getting over half court, we would get into, like, our pistol or clippers, but that's a pistol motion, which we call clippers. Um, They could call an action if they had kept the ball if they didn't kick it ahead. 
uh, or just got into something immediate. If the five was trailing, we'd get right into a ball screen because for us, our offense isn't designed, although it almost sounds complicated as you learn it. It's extremely simple because I want it to be simple so our guys can go out and, and make basketball plays. So we do a ball screen early and we gain an advantage or we kick it ahead and touch the paint. We gain an advantage. To me, that's great offense. Mm-hmm. I don't care if, if I look like a genius. It's much more about uh, the players' development and the players being able to make plays with with freedom uh, and responsibility to what our you know our fundamental standards are. I'm just curious with with a lot of dribble drive, it's coming across to the middle, coming across to the middle. Do do you know with your team when when you've run this this past year, you know the percentage of times that that ball handler up top gets a crack and it's more of a lane drive compared to a middle drive? So for us. Uh, because of the level we played at and the type of teams we played against, as we kept the ball, we had to get into action a lot, uh, as opposed to as much traditional dribble drive as we would have liked. Um, obviously, to me, that's more based on the skill set. Our guards uh, and our wings are ultra skilled this year, uh, so they could make that move either way. I think that our it depended more on the kid individually than it was anything that I could say consistently happened. So like one of our, guard, our guards really loves getting to his left. I think it's because he's so tough-minded. He's trying to prove he can go left. Uh, <laughs> so he's he's attacking middle because most of the time when he loops, he's going to his right hand, right? Like that's the nature of I loop to my right hand for my kick ahead. So the ball's on the right side of the floor a lot. Um, but I, I, I would say, you know, some of our others, really athletic guards, they like the inside out. They're going to their outside. I think mm-hmm. it's just on personnel Then I could really tell you first. I could tell you which players did what. But I don't know that how many times they were in that situation. Yeah, just curious. I know, you know, there's a lot of teams that run very traditional dribble drive. It's just, okay, we get they get kind of stuck if they don't get that initial drive going middle. And that's more of just a lateral um, action going side to side, much more east-west. And so it's interesting to hear, you know, obviously you're a very high-level team. You play one of the top schedules in the nation. You got guys that can, you know, defense makes a mistake. They're going to make them pay for it. No question about that. Right. Down I, a little. Go ahead, coach. I'm going to say, I think touching on that, like, so we started dribble drive or I started dribble drive with our, that, that team I told the story about when we moved from mover blocker and two, three zone, we moved to dribble drive because that offense connected to our defense, which was full court pressure. And we had four point guards at that time, no wings. Uh, so we were basically playing, you know, get downhill. We always said like, if they have a guy that can stop one guy, the second guy, they're not going to have the third guy. We went 27 and three and went we're state runner up. Um, but we had guys that could get downhill. Two years later, using dribble drive as our base to teach, we did not use dribble drive consistently because as good as our guards were, uh, they were not able to get downhill every time. So we went into more like dribble handoffs to soften it up. Mm-hmm. But after pack the rim, we still maintain those initial dribble drive principles because I believe it's a great way to teach spacing, work, uh, when to cut, how to cut. So we've always used it as our like, hey, this is basically how we're teaching, driving and kicking. Um, Because the reality is a lot of kids work on individual skills, but they don't work on connected skills. So they don't always understand how far they, you know, for us, we're an NBA three-point line spacing because we're going to step into the high school shot every time. We're a left, right or right, left uh, foot for our threes, which then generates, okay, what's the next part? Three second away, we're touching the paint. You know, those types of things. But I, I think that's part of when you say dribble drive teams are getting stuck. If your if your team running pure dribble drive motion is not good enough to beat the best teams on your schedule, including winning your district title or regional title or however your state goes, then you can't be just a pure traditional dribble drive team. And it's a great way to talk about, OK, we like the spacing. It connects to what we're doing. But after we do that, we've got to figure out how to generate, get two on the ball so we can get open, yeah. open look. I uh, appreciate the choir here. I'm I'm much more of a fan of teaching the the spacing and the structure of dribble drive than just running flat traditional dribble drive. Unless, as you mentioned, you got the players that can continue to get in the cracks and then, hey, that's going to be a fantastic offense for you. So it does depend on the personnel. You mentioned individual skills to the connectivity of the team, right? So that now this is where I really get, get excited because we're kind of talking about the the parts of building players and team for success. You're trying to set your individual players up. Obviously you want team success, but big picture, you got players that want to play at the college level. Some are going to play professional basketball, whether that's in the NBA, whether it's uh, internationally overseas, 
And for our high school players, for high school coaches, it's predominantly, you can have a college player here and there, but it's predominantly, how can we build our individual parts to complement the big picture so we can have team success? Tell us a little bit about how you start to layer and progress that throughout the course of the year. So I think it goes all the way back to the first thing we said, right? As we design our system, that's our guys' strengths and weaknesses, and we look at what that is, we then have to make sure that the skill things that we do as a team align with what we're doing offensively. Um, so if, for example, when we first initially did dribble drive, you know, one of my assistants, uh, Toby Madison, who'd been a college coach, was a top 50 scorer in Indiana history, just said, hey, this is awesome. I love it. You know, he's a more of a set screens guy. Uh, but he said I, it fits what we're doing, but we got to spend a ton of time on, you know, rips and footwork and landing on two. Um, and I agreed, you know, 100%. So I, I think you've got to look at how your – the initial part is making sure that your drills align with and connect to what you're trying to do offensively. I think a lot of guys see a great drill, but if you can't explain to the kids how this individual drill builds into this team drill that builds into exactly what we're trying to do or how it helps them get better, that's when you lose – you know, you lose kids. That's, that's when they're not going to pay attention or work as hard. Um and I would say, like, within that, the next thing I would do is, you know, be creative. If I know, like, this is what we're doing in our offense, look at ideas, look up different things. I mean, I, I was uh, talking to one of our parents yesterday about basketball, um, and we were just talking about the difference of you used to have to go to a clinic. Now I can jump on YouTube and find every resource possible. You know, it's just different. The level of knowledge that people can attain is much higher. So from an individual skill standpoint, everything you do needs to connect to what you're doing you know, off, offensively, um, individual skill of dribble passing and shoot is always the same. Like we got to do those things, but then being able to show kids a snapshot of how it fits together, that bleeds into, uh, we do a lot of three on zero initially. So we teach, this is how the skill you've acquired connects with this other part of our offense. So in dribble drive, we'd have the ball handler, we'd have a player in the dunk, our post, and then we put the third person in any one of the other positions. And we do lines of this. Uh, the ball handler makes the decision to go lane or middle. Everyone reacts. We focus landing on two. We kick it. There's no defense. We get a three. We get a shot up. People then do their offensive rebounding responsibilities because I'm a big fan of if we're in a game situation, it's a game situation. So a lot of times we do drill and we miss that three and everybody stands around because the three miss. Like in a game, you miss a three, you better go get it or you better be getting back. So we do a lot of glass and back within those three on zeros. But then we take it and we put coach controlled in it. So first we, we teach the skill that's needed. Then we go three on zero. Then we go three on however many coaches I can talk into being in my practice uh, to help out. Uh, fortunately, Daniel Santiago, who played uh, 18 years professionally on the Puerto Rican national team that beat the, uh, the U.S., happens to be the guy that is stuck with me every day as my assistant. And we have a great relationship. So obviously having a seven foot tall uh, pro player able to add in value as the guy helping off the big or the guy showing on a ball screen or whatever we're working on offensively helps. And then a ton of times, uh, not all the time, because he's our head skills uh, shooting coach, uh, Jimmy Barron, who's the all-time leading scorer, uh, all-time leading three-point uh, shooter in A-10 history. He's the guy that would be helping off the wing or guarding the ball. So like really unique things at IMG. But when I was at uh, Lakewood Ranch, student assistants or whoever, we would create controlled defensive things. So, you know, if we're working on ball screen, we want to read whoever's guarding the five. We want to read the tag and ideally read what the defender's doing on the ball. Once we've gone over the skills that are needed in that, then we go over controlled skills. So we're controlling the read, but mixing it up. So we're tagging the roller or helping off the big or not helping off the big. So the guard or the, or the wing or whoever's job it is has to make a decision. Uh, and then we would do some version of a small sided game three on three where there's restrictions or advantages that are gained automatically to generate the read we want. And then obviously in five on five via film study and via communication, you want them to see how each of those parts fit together so they can see their development, um, you know, on a regular basis from my kids, their biggest feedback, like uh, talking to guys that both been at IMG for years and, and were new to it. They really, really like the three on zero to the three on uh, coaches. We'll call it, to the three on three because they can really see the progression and help them understand the reads along with, we have the ability to do a lot of uh, film breakdown. I mean, that comes back to different learning styles and kids being able to pick up things in different ways. 
right? You know, I, I think, you know, for me as a learner, if you put me in the drill, like you're talking about with your kids, I'm able to get a feel for, for what it is. If I'm standing back, almost like if I was at a clinic and watching the players go through it, I'm not going to get a feel for it as much. If you give me game film or even a PDF so of what it looks like, again, I learn well that way, right? Just, just kind of my nature. And so being able to touch in these different areas, it's obviously uh, progression-based, great way. And I got to admit, coach, like for your players, this is probably just more fun, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what they enjoy is, you know, we teach the skills that are necessary. Then we go over what their read responsibility is. And then they're playing against the coaches who are giving them, I call it like 60% defense, right. but it's allowing them to see the read. Well, then the exciting part is when they go live, they can immediately see the read. Because I think what happens a lot in our generation of basketball is highly skilled, super athletic, tons of five on five, but there's not always the ability of teaching how do we get better in those situations besides individual skill. And the reality is anyone that sat and watched any of March Madness, which every high school player should be doing because that's the level they want to be at, um, you can see how those guys have to be able to make advanced reads because their individual skill set on a consistent basis is not going to get their team a score. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So you've got to take the individual skill set and talent that you have, connect it to your teammates, and I think when you just say do that, it's a lot harder than showing them without restricting them. Once they learn the fundamentals and how to make a read, then they get to use their talent within that foundation to just make a play. And of course, they enjoy that, you know, the most. Can you give us an example of uh, what one of those might look like as far as three on O? Paint a picture. You got uh, a big in the post, strong side, weak side, ball handler uh, at one of those seams up top put another player wherever you like out on the court. What would some of those actions look like uh, for the coaches that are listening saying, man, I love this. We're going to go three on O that we're going to add in some of the decision-making then we're going to go live. What are some of the reads that you found keep happening in the game? So we're making sure we're repping those in practice. So the biggest thing I'd say is you need to make sure it attaches to what you're doing, right? Like, it, it, and that's it all goes back to the terminology of connectivity. So what I do is I look at the pieces of what our offense is, and then I look at how we teach it. So we let's assume they have the individual skill. So the first one we usually do, because we're hunting the kick ahead, is we have an offensive player, uh, a, the ball handler, who we would have outletted the ball just over half court on the on let, let's say uh opposite angle looking for the kick head they haven't crossed half court then we have the wing at half court running up the wing uh to be the kick ahead and then we have our post standing at the top of the key and, and when we say this it's three lines so we're going boom 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 boom. the ball handlers the wing starts to sprint the ball handler kicks it ahead so they can get to their kick head spot the post posts up uh you know a coach or the air and then we get into our trailing position which for us uh, when the ball's in the kickhead position, you have your wing filled. Your trail is all the way up, almost near the midline circle to create great spacing. The post is posted up. And then on the opposite side, it would be, we call it stack, but they'd be wing and corner. So we eliminate the wing and corner on the other side that gives us the great spacing. We focus on those three. And on the kickhead, we would start with our laner middle drive so the post knows how to read, right? Which way does it – I mean, kids don't always know. It drives middle open up baseline if I drive to the drive to what we call uh, lane which is our right hand drive or our outside hand drive you got to shape up to the middle either way for us that guard that was near half court is always violently coming back behind so we do that three on zero um we teach the read first way time through we control it next time through we would let them read it so if we post entry we have an option if we drive left or we drive right we have all those options so the first thing you do is you teach them all and we control it we get this is what happens when you do this, this is what happens when you do this and then you have to do segments of what i call understanding and we kick it ahead and they make a decision and everyone responds mm -hmm. once we're comfortable with that then you add the defense and you tell the coaches um the first few days you tell them what you're going to do again all right coach is going to jump on this side you're going to drive here this is your read and then you say all right coaches uh, or managers or whoever you have that you can use as controlled defense, um, hey, jump on their left, you know, you choose, jump on their left and right hand. So they're making that controlled read. And then obviously we put them in three-on-three -three situations with tons of parameters, whether we choose what the defense has to do to get the dom dominoes falling, or we just say, 
once we we initially do this, you've got four seconds to score because we're trying to score out of the action. We still want them to play hard, play game-like. We'll usually allow one offensive rebound because we want to pursue rebounds because uh, that fits our culture. Um, but we do that. And then always for us, once we go live, it's always incentivized and competitive. So we always have some version of game scoring, some version of a winner and a loser, um, some version of, you know, however we do that, whether it's three groups of three or four groups of three or two groups of six, whatever, however we decide mm -hmm. uh, to fit. Um, so we have the kick ahead. We go our laner middle drive or we post feed. Anytime we post, post feed, we do a razor or a split action. The razor for us is the wing cuts top guard comes over the top or we enter post if, again that's always if there's not an immediate score or then we do our split actions uh because because uh, obviously that stuff's highly effective especially when you have elite shooters and then now in that split there's options right i can come off i can turn it down i can do a number of things um you know off of that action and then now that the ball's penetrated the three-point line we're into our flow so we'll also spend time saying three on zero we're just in flow we got two guys on a wing one guy in the post like play Mm -hmm. uh, so. so many good things out of that and the last thing you mentioned being able to play out of the post and that's another thing that maybe a lot of dribble drive motion teams don't do is still play out of the post right they're more of just a receiver and then they end up oh you, you got it like this is where the offense ended up and you take your shot but being able to to hit the post early and then be able like you said you got your razor split action. There's so many great things that can happen out of that inside out. Obviously scoring opportunities uh, can happen as well. So that's all fantastic stuff. Coaches listen. I mean, instead of like this three on O could be a perfect beginning to your, to your practice, right? In, instead of three man weave, instead of uh, very kind of monotonous drone like drills that may be uh, starting out your practice where there's no thinking involved, and there's no translation to what players are actually going to do in a game. What does your offense look like? How does that flow? And then use that to start to get into your workout or your practice is highly, highly effective stuff, uh, much more efficient when, with your time. I want to add on that too. When it's three on zero, it's extremely important that they understand what fundamentals they have to be doing and then held accountable to those. If it's just lazy kick ahead, lazy drive, lazy post feed, everything we do has to translate to live game action. So they got to have a little bit of imagination in three on zero. They have, have to have a little bit less imagination when it's three on uh, three on coaches or three on controlled. And then obviously in live play, you're going to feel it when you make the wrong pass or the wrong play. I think often what happens when we do our three on zeros is we don't hold them accountable. And then the game holds them accountable to those poor habits. Mm -hmm. We have to understand that everything is about generating perfect habit so everything should be super clean no one's bumping me you know the ref isn't i'm not tired from sprinting around like my job is to make sure every single one of those reps is clean and they know exactly how to do it and that they're held accountable to it uh because once they get in the game they'll be held accountable based on the result that's a great nugget nugget right there as we finish out coach tell us a little bit about okay we point guard probably brought it up we didn't get that uh, quick up or kick ahead, um, your terminology. What are some of the base actions that you might use to get your offense running when you're in the half court, when you didn't get that initial, okay, we hit, we hit the post early, we ran a split action, they doubled, some things that you found effective. So uh, this year we basically bled into a pistol. So we got over half court, he didn't lay in her middle, the wing immediately came flying back up. The post came flying back up. We went into our pistol motion. Uh, and obviously, as a team, we shot like 49%. We, we had pretty good offensive numbers um, because we get we get right into it before they could do it. And then there's obviously a lot of options off of that. The other thing we did in other years was we would dribble at and hunt a back door because uh, it would just start to soften things up. Whenever we did a dribble at corner or a dribble at top, it would lead us into lifting our five out of the – of the dunk position they'd lift to the middle and then we'd play through a lot of that handoff top of the key kind of zoom actions and do some things out of that i don't think that what you do has to necessarily be complicated i think the kids have to understand all their options and reads and the reason i say that goes all the way back to what we said at the beginning where how do we develop them to be college players how do we make sure that they're doing things that that college coaches want to see them do so for our seven six kid uh ollie if all we do is throw to them in the post they're never going to see him dribble handoff they're never going to see him ball screen and roll well those are going to be the question marks they're going to have now he does that stuff at an elite level 
but I also now have film to show every coach in the country. This is him doing that at elite level. So again, for us, you know, you can have a set action because once the ball's done and we dribbled it over, we haven't kicked it ahead. You're really set at that point. The defense is set. Otherwise you would have won lane or middle and generated, you know, paint touches. So you can really run whatever you want. For me, I like very quick automatics uh, on, on made and misses and on dead balls, very specific to either a player that's gotten hot or some, maybe somebody that hasn't been hot. Like sometimes we'll run a specific call. Like we do a lot of stuff out of horns uh, because a kid needs to get going. You know, it's not, you know, again, we're coaching for development and winning and we're trying to develop winners, but it's different because we're not playing for a state title. We, we did have the opportunity to play for the prep national championship this year. Um, and we, we lost the first round to the number 22 team in the country. Um, and then we beat two national level top 50 teams in the country to finish two and one at big shots, which is great, but it's still not our focus. Like our focus is making sure that when I clip together film or our college coaches come in and see our kids, that they're doing things that translate to their level. So I know it's like a long answer, but the reality is you want to get into something quick that helps your personnel show their ability and their translative skills uh, to the next, to the next level. Definitely setting your guys up for success later on. The amount of teaching that one you've broken down this podcast was, was tremendous. The amount of teaching that it takes to do this with your players because you're breaking down the whys, right? Defense does this, we go here. Defense, uh, you know, cuts this off, right? We can, we can slip out. Like just different things where I know players that are playing for you they're going on to the next level with a higher level of basketball IQ than players who may have been just getting by on or they're extremely athletic. They're extremely talented. They have a, a high level individual skill set. But that next level is how do we take that individual skill set, use it to complement the team or the program that we're playing for next. Uh, so kudos to you, coach. That's uh, this has been a tremendous, tremendous episode. Anything that you, any thoughts that you want to leave our coaches with as they start to think about what this spring and summer is going to look like for their program? I think, I, I think, you know, obviously we went through kind of the thought process. I think it's really good to bounce ideas off of other coaches you trust and make sure that you have some version of a sounding board, uh, find an older coach in your area or find I me. Mean, you can reach out to me. I'll, I'll get my contact information, mm -hmm. but just try to find people that you can bounce ideas off of because they may have already tried some of the stuff that you're doing. And then the other thing is I would challenge you to try to get your kids invested in the process, your players, uh, let them know, because one of the things that they see is, wow, coach is really trying hard to, to get, get us where we're trying to go. I think that adds connectivity. And the other thing is like, I would get feedback from those kids that you really trust that are invested in the success of the program to give you feedback on things that they like or don't like. Now, some of the things they don't like might still be best for them. So you got to help them understand it. But I think it's really important that you get your players involved in the discussion. Now, they can't choose your whole offense, your whole defense, because some of them, especially the ones with poor character, want the whole thing revolving around them every time. Um, but the reality is, like, you do want to try to get your invested kids involved in the process because it's twofold. One, it gets them invested in it, and then and they feel like their opinion is valued. But the other thing is the other kids want – you want to make sure the other kids know that you're working super hard to make sure you're maximizing their experience in high school. I think it's harder for a kid or families to be upset when they know how much work you're putting in, yeah. uh, what you're doing. And, and I think that they can see it in your preparation in your organization and how everything connects. Cause that makes sense to people, even if they don't understand basketball, like, Oh, this connects to that. I, I see it. Um, uh, you know, I, I think those things are valuable. That extra communication also helps instill that care factor from coach to player that goes a really long way. You're invested and it's not just, this is what we run because I said so, right? You have a, you have a, a reason behind it, getting their feedback, their advice, their thoughts. I mean, that, that, that in itself helps dig back into the culture that you establish, right? Letting you, them know that you really value their thoughts and their opinions doesn't mean you're going to use everything that they may recommend, but you care to hear what, what they think uh, is working and how they can continue to move forward. Tell us a little bit about how we can you know, follow you, keep up on you. If coaches have any questions, uh, any contact information, let us know. Yeah, I, I try to be super accessible. Um, you know, I, I think part of our role as coaches is to continue to give back as well as continue to learn. You know, I, I listen to podcasts all the time, so I'm constantly investing in being better. 
I don't think I have all the answers, but I know that, you know, we can, we can help each other through thought process. So anyone that'd like to get a hold of me, uh, my Twitter is coach J Schiller. Uh, Schiller is S C H I L L E R. Uh, my email is Jeremy dot Schiller, J E R E M Y dot S C H I L L E R at I M G.com. Those two are the best, the best way to get a hold of me. Um, you know, and I, I've been fortunate. I've spoke at a few different things and I've had a ton of coaches reach out afterwards. And, and I, for me, you know, selfishly, I really enjoy that level of communication and connectivity and mm-hmm. trying to help uh, the next generation of coaches uh, kind of in their, in their journey. And, and even coaches that are older than me or my same age, we bounce ideas off each other all the time. Uh, and for me, I just really enjoy that. So selfishly, I hope, I hope I hear from some people and then I can add some value to them and their programs. You are, You've, you have already. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I think that a lot of times we hear about mentors, get yourself a mentor, somebody who's, who's been where you want to be and, the, and they can lay down some, some wisdom for you based on their experiences. I agree. Those are extremely valuable. I think we undervalue peers, those that are in it with you, right? Maybe it's the exact same time. Maybe they're a few years ahead of you, a few years behind you, but being able to hear like a coach who's listening and maybe been coached for the same amount of time. And they're like, boy, this is, this is similar to where I'm at. There's some things that we can take away there. There's so much value. And that's true. Coaches edge podcast, our membership of coaches edge.coach. There's so much value where we're trying to bring peer to peer and allowing coaches to be able to feed off one another and help each other out. That's what you're doing uh, by being on this show. So I certainly appreciate it to our listeners. Thank you for listening. I'll be sure to put coach Schiller's uh, Twitter account. That's how I initially reached out to him as well was on Twitter and he gets back to you. Like he says, he will, he will get back to you, which I certainly appreciate. So coach, thank you for being on the coach's edge podcast. Once again, we'll have to make this a a yearly thing. I love it. Uh, It's been awesome. Every time I've had the opportunity to do a great job and I think it's awesome with uh, coaches helping coaches. So uh, it was a lot of fun, and, and hopefully I added a little bit of value to, to everyone that took the time to listen. Absolutely. This went by fast. To our listeners, thanks again. Get after today.